You are listening to an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org. Hebrews chapter 5 is where we're going this morning. We come to a section in chapter 5, beginning in verse 11, that runs through chapter 6 in verse 12. And it's a warning. It's a warning. For there were those in the first century church, remember that Hebrews is a general letter, a general epistle, so it's not written to a particular local church, it's written to the churches in general. And in those churches in the very first century were those who had not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ. They had heard the gospel. That is clear from what is being said in in this letter to the Hebrews. And, And they were under the preaching and teaching of God's word, and they heard much about the gospel, but there were those within those churches who had not yet come to faith in Christ, and the ones to whom the, this letter is addressed are primarily Jewish in background. Do you realize that a lot of the first century church was comprised of a significant percentage of Jews? Uh, the church began in Jerusalem, and it was totally Jewish. And as it moved out from Jerusalem and progressively went into the uh, Gentile cities and population areas, the apostles went to the synagogues first, where the Jews congregated, and there they proclaimed Christ and opened up the Old Testament because that's all they had and demonstrated from the Old Testament how that Jesus Christ was a fulfillment of all the Messianic prophecies, and they proclaimed Christ and called people, called their fellow Jews to faith in Christ, and many of them indeed did trust Christ as Savior, but not all of them. So we need to understand that dynamic about the church in the first century. The first six decades of its existence had a significant Jewish element to it. As the decades progressed, that percentage of Jews who were part of the church declined. But at this point, there was still a significant percentage of the people who were in these churches who were hearing the Word of God, who were Jewish, and a number of them had not yet come to faith in Christ. Because they're, they're beyond the, the aspect and reality of repentance from their sin, which was a huge shift for them, was the reality that they were going to experience opposition from uh, their families. If their families weren't already believers in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, they would experience opposition. And that opposition could range from a more mild form of opposition, a cold shoulder type treatment, to being kicked out of the home, out of the family, out of the family business, out of the synagogue, and even perhaps having their lives threatened. So that there was other considerations that those who were Jewish brought to the table as they considered the truths of the gospel, the truths of Jesus Christ. And those to whom this letter was written, among them was a contingency who had not yet come to faith in Christ. And we need to understand that as we move through this letter because interjected in this letter are warning passages, warning those who had been hearing the gospel and hearing the great truths of the gospel, but they had not yet trusted Christ as Savior. This is one of the sections that we're entering into now. 
We had just finished a section in the first ten verses of Hebrews where Melchizedek is talked about. You say, who in the world is Melchizedek? <laughs> that's, that's a strange name and it's hard to say. But it's important. Jesus Christ is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And you say, okay, I hear what you're saying. I hear the words, but I have absolutely no idea what that means. Well, go online, listen to the previous sermons. You'll get a little idea. Come back again, and you get more of an idea when we get into chapter 7. But for the Jewish contingency, Melchizedek was not a person that they were unfamiliar with. And yet, many of them didn't understand the significance of the priesthood of Melchizedek, and especially that of Jesus Christ as being one who was after the order of the priesthood of Melchizedek. And so he emphasizes the importance of that and the distinction of that in the first ten verses. But then we move into this warning passage. So bearing in mind the audience here, we can understand this passage and then understand application of it because it's still totally relevant in the 21st century, not only to Jewish people of a Jewish background, but to people who have been exposed to the message of the gospel, who've been exposed to the person of Jesus Christ, who've been exposed to various segments of Christianity and yet have not come to faith in Christ. They have faith in their system, but they don't possess faith in Christ. And the systems often talk about Christ, but they don't talk about personal faith in Christ and repentance of sin and trusting Christ and Christ alone for salvation. They believe in the system that their form of Christianity has generated. So it's entirely relevant to today. So let's pick it up in verse 11, and we're going to notice this morning four detrimental consequences to neglecting the gospel. The person of the gospel, the truths of the gospel, are the absolute most important truths and the most important person with which we will have to deal in our entire lifetime. And yet it is often not considered that way, treated that way, responded to in that way and on that level. But indeed, that is the reality. The person of the gospel, Jesus Christ, is God come in human flesh. And God come in human flesh, Jesus Christ, gave himself on humanity's behalf. He suffered, he died on our behalf, not because we asked him to, but because he chose to, to fulfill the plan, the purpose of God and the love of God that said that only through the death of God the Son could the sins of man be eternally and forever and legitimately forgiven and cleansed. And he accomplished that, demonstrated by his resurrection. And now we're called to, and indeed commanded to, respond to Jesus Christ for who he is, Lord God and Savior. And a failure to do so in the eyes of God is disobedience. And then there's the truths of the gospel. And Hebrews is replete with the truths of the gospel, as you might expect. And yet, a number of people neglect 
the person of Jesus Christ and neglect the truths of the gospel. You know, neglect can be unintentional and it can be intentional. There are things that I neglect unintentionally, kind of like out of sight, out of mind. You have a closet that has stuff in it that you've always intended to straighten up, clean out, deal with, but it's out of sight, it's out of mind. You open the door and say, oh, I didn't realize I had that. (laughs) There's that kind of neglect. And then there's intentional neglect where you don't want to deal with it. And so you put it off and you put it off and you put it off. And in neglecting the gospel, it is intentional neglect. To neglect to respond to the person of the gospel and the truths of the gospel is intentional. And that's why the writer of Hebrews speaks so strongly and compassionately about responding to the person of Christ, responding to the truths of the gospel. So let's pick it up in verse 11. We'll first notice that one of the first detrimental consequences spoken of here is that of stunted comprehension. What we comprehend, what we understand And to continue to neglect, to respond to the person of Christ and to the gospel is going to stunt one's comprehension. It doesn't mean it'll be gone. It means it'll be stunted. It won't be operating the way that it ought to. The comprehension of the person of Christ and the truths of the gospel and how it all fits and flows together. Verse 11 says, of whom? And who's that talking about? It's talking about Melchizedek. He says, concerning Melchizedek, we have much to say. We have much more that we want to teach you and to bring to you by way of the truths of Scripture. And it's hard to explain, not because these truths are complicated in and of themselves. It's hard to explain for a particular reason, since you have become dull of hearing, That's why it's hard to explain. It's because you have become dull of hearing. How many of you in here understand algebra? Okay, we got a few. A few elite people. I don't. And when I was exposed to it in high school, my first response was, You look at letters, and you look at letters, and it equals this letter and that letter, and you end up with a number. Why not just deal with numbers? (laughs) Don't give me all these letter stuff. You're going to end up with this letter equals this number, and just give me the number to begin with, you know? That's my processing. So, obviously, I neglected algebra intentionally. (laughs) It was intentional. They gave me the option in high school of whether or not to take algebra, and that was many years ago. We still had the option. 
it's not uncommon in high school day or even middle school that you don't have that option. You take it. And you are stuck in that intentionality of not learning it. <laughs> but I was exposed to enough of it to say, well, I don't want anything to do with this. And I didn't. I was very intentional about it. And so therefore, I am dull of understanding. I am dull of hearing. And you'll see what that means as we move into, the, into a fuller explanation of that. But when it comes to algebra, I am dull. So I, I would never be able to teach an algebra class. All I could do is tell that class why I didn't take algebra. And a lot of them would say, I'm there with you. <laughs> but nevertheless, because of my intentional neglect, I did not learn it, and I do not know it. It's just information. I could learn it. But at this stage in life, I don't know the value. <laughs> Why were they at this juncture where they could not be taken from where they were at to the next steps that they needed in their comprehension and understanding? Not only is it dealt with Melchizedek, but as Melchizedek dealt with Jesus Christ. Is that truth concerning Melchizedek tied into Jesus Christ? They just couldn't go there. Because they intentionally had not permitted themselves to connect those dots. They didn't want to be taken there. So here's why. A couple of truths in the text. Raise your hand when that pops up there, okay? <laughs> All right, very good, thank you. Dysfunctional reasoning, reasoning. When he says hard to explain, it means not easily capable of being understood or accounted for. Again, it's not hard in the sense of the substance of it. It's not like physics. Quantum theory, I can use the words, so I have absolutely no idea what they mean. <laughs> and it's, it's very complicated. But this isn't. And when truth is neglected, especially the truth concerning Christ and the truth concerning the gospel, it will inevitably result in somewhere down the line, dysfunctional reasoning. You won't be able to reason in relation to Christ and the gospel. You won't be able to connect the dots. Your thinking, your reasoning, as it pertains to Christ and the gospel and the significance of Christ and the gospel, you will deteriorate in your ability to understand and comprehend and reason. That's why it's hard to explain. That's the emphasis within that word and that concept. 
And then secondly, this is the dull of hearing, sluggish reasoning. Dysfunctional reasoning is hand-in-hand with sluggish reasoning. Reasoning is just thinking. Thinking. Some things we're able to reason well with. Other things not so much. And as it pertains to Christ, we are called to listen to the truths that God has given us concerning Christ and the gospel and consider them and think on them and process them. And when we don't and we intentionally neglect acting on these truths and on the person of Christ, the reasoning becomes sluggish, no throy. It literally means no push. No push in the sense of being sluggish or lazy or lethargic. So there's no push, no ability to push, no strength because of sluggishness, lazy, and lethargy. So there, this, this is one of the detrimental consequences to not acting and re- acting upon and responding to the person of Christ and the truths of the gospel. Inevitably, somewhere along the line, at some point, your reasoning concerning Christ and the gospel will be dysfunctional and then sluggish, lethargic, sensing no real need to respond to Christ and the gospel. And that's where a number of these individuals were to whom the the author was speaking. That's why it's vitally important that as we hear the truths of the gospel and hear the word of God, that we engage, that we respond, that we interact with God and what he says. And each time that we don't, our reasoning and thinking as it pertains to God takes another step in becoming dysfunctional and sluggish. A second reason, a detrimental consequence, is stunted knowledge. Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. It's that first portion that uh, finishes with the oracles of God. He says, by this time, after all that you have been exposed to, you ought to be teachers. It's not a lack of information. It's not a lack of in-depth presentation. You've you've had deep exposure. For a Jewish audience, they had deep exposure to the Old Testament, to the teachings of the rabbis, to Judaism. They didn't lack for information. It wasn't sketchy. It wasn't superficial. He says, you have had enough information presented to you by the Spirit of God through the messengers of God, the apostles and teachers of the church, that you ought to be teachers. And yet, where you're at is that you need someone 
to teach you again the first principles. What is that? That word literally means the ABCs, the most basic information. All of us remember, perhaps, going to kindergarten. Some have to think a little bit harder about that. And I remember going. It's not like I remember it like it was yesterday, because it wasn't. But I do remember that in kindergarten, you know, we were taught the ABCs, and, and it was both in the printed form and the cursive form. And I, I've been asked before, well, were you, you, were you taught phonics to read phonetically? I know that we were, not because I remember that being emphasized in class, but because we were taught to sound out our words and sound out our letters and to read in that fashion. I didn't know it was called phonics. But we learned the very basic aspects of learning. And key to that was reading. And had, we, we learned how to, to write. And we learned how to begin to spell. And we learned how to begin to put sentences together. Very, very simple sentences. We had the Dick and Jane books and Spot. See, Dick, run. See, spot, run, you know. And those of you who are in that era, you know those books. Very basic, very simple. Building the very basic principles so that in the subsequent grades, they could take you further in reading. And then as you re would be able to read, you could read the textbooks and build your knowledge base. But basic to that was the basic information, the first principles. That's the concept here. And what he's saying in verse 12 is though you ought to be teachers. You've had sufficient in-depth truth and information put before you and you have neglected it. You have neglected the truths of Christ and the gospel. You haven't acted upon them. And so now you need someone to take you back to the very basics of the oracles of God. And again, remembering this is primarily a Jewish audience, he's saying the Old Testament was a, uh, the portion of God's word where God revealed to Israel in the law a lot of truth by means of sacrifices and symbols, word pictures, because those were basic truths that would ultimately point to the fulfillment of of Jesus Christ, all of that being fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and you would move beyond the pictures and the basic principles revealed in the Old Testament and be ready for the full truth fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And he says, you're not there yet. We have presented Christ, but you are stunted in your knowledge because of your neglect, intentional neglect. You're not willing to go there. And therefore, we have to go back and lay the foundation again and begin to demonstrate how the sacrifices and the symbols and the sim 
uh, symbolism, prefigured Christ. We have to go there again with you, and we shouldn't have to do that. So stunted knowledge. He's talking about failure to carefully consider the knowledge of Christ. You see, when we talk about Christ... And when a believer talks about the person of Christ and who he is and what he has accomplished, he is, that, that is to be given, and he is to be given careful consideration. Not a passing attention. Not a superficial listen. This is God in human flesh who dwelt among us, who sacrificed himself for our sins so that we could no long, so that we would no longer be separated from our Creator, God, the living God, but be reconciled to Him. And who is coming again? There's so much truth relative to Jesus Christ, but to give Him superficial attention, to pass by these truths of Christ superficially, is the type of thing that, that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. And that happens when we do not give careful consideration to what we hear, to what we're exposed to. But we just listen to it and move on. So failure to carefully consider the knowledge of Christ results in stunted knowledge. And failure to go beyond the basic Old Testament truths leads to stunted knowledge. The Old Testament truths are true. They are truth. They're given by God. God, the Spirit of God, led the men of the Old Testament to write what they wrote. It's of God. But it was not the completion of His revelation. It wasn't all the truth that God wanted to give and reveal to man. That completion of it is the New Testament. That completion of it is the person of Christ. And if a person just focuses on the Old Testament, as the Jews, unbelieving Jews, were prone to do, it stunted their knowledge. They couldn't go past that. They couldn't look at Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the Son of God for who He truly is. Because of their narrow view, their narrow focus on the Old Testament. And he's warning them. He's saying, your knowledge is stunted. And, and we have to go back and present to you the ABCs of the Old Testament once again so that perhaps you can get on that path of realizing that all that is said in the Old Testament and prefigured in the Old Testament concerning Christ is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I'm reminded of what Paul said toward the end of the book of Acts, toward the end of his ministry, as he met with the elders of the church of Ephesus and was telling them that he would not see them face to face again. And they were crying and they were upset because of that statement. They loved Paul, and Paul loved them. But in the context of that conversation, Paul said this, 
I have, he said, I, I warn you, beware, because after I depart, not immediately, but after my departure from you and you won't see me again, there will arise among you, from among you, false teachers who will lead you away. But understand this, I have not failed to declare to you, listen to this, the whole counsel of God from Genesis 1 to whatever, all that's contained in the New Testament, I have not failed to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And we must embrace the whole counsel of God. But those to whom the writer of Hebrews was addressing, they were not. They stopped. They focused only on the Old Testament truths. But Old Testament truths take us just so far. So he's talking about those who have a failure to go beyond the basic Old Testament truths. And you know, by way of application, there are those who are caught up in systems of Christianity today. There's a difference between systems of Christianity and just straight, biblical, Bible-focused, Bible-based Christianity. They have added layers of teaching and tradition and practice that is not found in the Scriptures. And they've layered it on over the centuries. And so people caught up in those systems often are attracted to that which is outward and external, the symbols, the pictures, the statues, The stained glass windows, the external practices in a liturgical worship service, and somehow that they're focused on that and they can't see Christ for who he is and they can't see the gospel for what it is because it's, it's, their focus is in other areas. And they fail to go beyond what those symbols represent to the truth of the person of Christ. Stunted knowledge. So that's a second detriment, detrimental consequence. A third detrimental consequence is a stunted diet. That's obviously used in a metaphorical sense. What they took in from the Scriptures, verses 12 and 13, he says this to them, you have come to need milk and not solid food. You're still at that level, at that stage, to where all you can take in is equi the equivalence of milk. Today we would say baby food, the kind you get in jars or that you get in a powder and you mix it. And that's what babies eat, breakfast, lunch. <coughs> and supper and they like it <laughs> but as we grow into maturity how many of you had baby food for breakfast this morning that doesn't count <laughs> <laughs> But he said, that's where you're at, spiritually. 
You can't move into the knowledge and the, and the food, the solid food of Christ, because you just want to keep taking in the baby food, the basic truths, and you don't want to move beyond that. And you must. Verse 13, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. They can't interact with rightly, correctly, profitably, the truths of righteousness. I find it interesting that the writer uses the, the expression there, the word of righteousness. That is the one, one thing that every human being needs, that every one of us lacks before coming to Christ. The one thing that every human being needs in order to be accepted by God, to order, in order for God to accept us into his presence, is Christ's righteousness. And that's Paul's testimony in Philippians chapter 3, when he says, I do not want to be found standing before God in my own righteousness for Paul, who was a Jew, and he said, which is the righteousness by the law. Nothing wrong with the law, but I was trying to use the law in the wrong way. I was trying to use the law as a means to attain righteousness by keeping of the law that I would attain righteousness. And that's what Paul said in the first century, and that's what Ben Shapiro, a well-known Jewish commentator, says in the 21st century. I don't say that to criticize him. I just found that fascinating as I was listening to him, and he was talking to others, and he talked about what it was to be a good Jew, and he says, I understand from Judaism, and I practice it, that there's 611 laws that we're to keep, and I do my best to keep every one of them, but that by that I may attain more righteousness. So that's the mentality that Paul had, that Ben has now, that by the keeping of the law, you build and attain more righteousness. And the message of the gospel is absolutely can't be done. We cannot make ourselves more righteous. We cannot attain more and more righteousness by our own efforts, even if those efforts are efforts to keep the very commandments contained in the Word of God. Because the issue isn't a lack of effort necessarily. The issue is our sinfulness and our sinful nature. And the message of the gospel and the message of Christ is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and turn from your sins. He said that to Jews who didn't think that they needed to repent of sins because they believed themselves to be the chosen people. And they made some incorrect assumptions about that as it pertained to their relationship with God. And yet Jesus a descendant of David, of the tribe of Judah, a Jew was preaching to his fellow Jews, you need to repent of your sins. And the writer of Hebrews is writing to a predominantly Jewish audience and he's saying, you need to move from the basic truths of the Old Testament and comprehend and interact with the truths concerning Christ and the gospel. But you're still eating the baby food truths of the Old Testament. And there's nothing wrong with baby food. When you're a baby, you need it. We've had five kids, and when they were all infants, we didn't feed them steak. We didn't feed them hamburger. We didn't cook a fish and say, eat it. We gave them baby food.
Nothing wrong with baby food. There's a time when it's needed. But you don't stay there. And when you do, you're unskilled in the word of righteousness, the truths that pertain to the kind of righteousness that we need to have in order to be accepted by God. Do you want to be accepted by God? Do you want to be found him by him saying, welcome into my kingdom? Or do you want to hear the words from him, depart from me, I never knew you? Which do you want to hear will be one or the other. And the key to that is to understand these truths concerning righteousness. And in order to understand the truths concerning righteousness, we must interact with the truth of Jesus Christ and the truths of the gospel. We must give careful consideration to them. And to fail to do so is is an intentional neglect of where we say, no, I only want the baby food stuff. I don't want to go there. Listen, every human being, everyone in this room this morning needs the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, which is by faith. The question is, do you have it? And if you don't, is it because you do not understand what that is all about? Or perhaps you do understand what it is all about and you have simply neglected to respond to Christ, intentionally neglected to respond to Christ and respond to the truths of the gospel. We are to be skilled in the word of righteousness. We are to be skilled in the great truths of the gospel and respond to them. And so what we learn from this is that those who have not responded because they've neglected it, they're capable only of the most basic biblical truths. You know, we have a class for our very young children. And in that class, they, they teach appropriately the most basic truths about God. God is creator. Jesus Christ is God. In another basic truths. In 2820 class this morning, we took one passage of Scripture, broke it down in the original language, and, and then put it back together. You don't do that with kids that are three and four years old. They're, they're not ready for that. One, they don't read. We are to be skilled in the truths of righteousness. If you say that, that terminology is just foreign to me, I mean, it's just, I have no idea what that's about. Well, then that's, that's where you need to start, is with that admission. And then say, how can I grow in my understanding of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and why that's so important. That's one of the commitments of this local church, but it's not unique to this local church.
but it's a stunted diet. A neglect of Christ and the gospel will result in a stunted diet of spiritual truth. You'll only take in so much and not anything more. And then fourth, a fourth consequence is stunted discernment. Verse 14. It says, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That's talking about someone who has trusted Christ as their Savior. That's what's being expressed when it says solid food are for those who are of full age, those who have trusted Christ as their Savior. They've started on that journey of knowing Christ and growing in Christ. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Let's observe here that solid food is for the mature, meaning those who have trusted Christ as Savior. That, that's what it means in this context. It has other meanings in different contexts, but here it's talking about those who have come to that point where they have not neglected the great truths of the person of Christ and the great truths of the gospel, and they have responded by faith and putting their faith and trust in Christ, knowing that in Christ they are given the righteousness and accounted righteous in God's sight. And so they're a full age. They process through those truths and acted on those truths, and therefore they are a full age. They are born again. They are saved. They are justified various terms that we use to speak of a person who has trusted Christ as their Savior. So he said, those who have trusted Christ as Savior, they, they can take in and process these great truths of the righteousness of God and become skilled and more skilled in these great truths of God's righteousness and what it is and what it means. It's not mystical. It's not mysterious. It's not upper shelf truth that's only for an elite group of people. It's for everyone who has known Christ, who knows Christ as Savior. And he goes on to say that solid biblical food, having this full diet of truth, the whole counsel of God that we are partaking of, trains the abilities of discernment, the discernment between good and evil. Because God tells us in his word that which is good and that which is evil. It's not a philosophical consideration for us. But those who are skilled in the word of righteousness, who are of full age, who are born again, who have trusted Christ, who are in the word of God, they can have their senses, all our capacities, exercised in the direction of understanding what is truly good and truly evil in life and in this world. Because through the new birth, God enables our senses and our capacities to know and to understand to be exercised in the direction of the triune God, of the person of Christ, and of the great truths of Scripture. 
So this is the first part of that warning, and then in chapter 6 we move into an even stronger part of that warning where he goes on to say, leaving, therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles that we've just articulated of Christ, the very basic things about Christ. Now Christ is the fulfillment of all the symbolism and pictures of the Old Testament and sacrifices of the Old Testament. Let us go on to perfection, meaning maturity in Christ, salvation, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, etc., It starts with genuinely interacting with the truth of who Christ is and why that's significant and why he is significant and the great truths of the gospel and not being superficial about it. Where do you stand in your mind, in your heart, in your conscience today? Have you been superficial with God? And the truths of Christ and the truths of the gospel? Or have you come to that point where you have genuinely repented of your sin and trusted Christ as your Savior? Do you stand in Christ's righteousness? If you were to stand before God today, would you stand before Him in your own righteousness, whatever that righteousness is, or would you stand before him knowing that you stand before him in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is by faith? And if you don't know, understand what that means, then more than likely you have not come to trust Christ as your Savior. Where do you stand today? What is your knowledge? What is your discernment? Where do you stand in relation to the gospel? Have you neglected it? Or have you responded to Christ and the great truths of the gospel? Let's pray. Father, today we thank you for the privilege and blessing of being here together. We thank you for everyone who is, is here today that you've brought here. And Lord, for our opportunity to worship you together, to come together around your word, to consider these great truths, to have our minds and hearts stirred by the Spirit of God, to have our, our thinking and our reasoning engaged by the truth of your word. Uh, Lord, you are the one who says, come now and let us reason together. You, you engage our minds, you engage our hearts with the truths of who you are and the truths of what it means to know you and how it is that we know you and why we need to have our sins forgiven and how our sins are forgiven and the reality of sins forgiven and, and the reality of a truly right relationship with you and so much more. And Father, you engage us and Lord, we're grateful for that. And Lord, by your grace and mercy, may we engage with all sincerity uh, the great truths that you put before us Father, as we go from here today, help us to consider our own relationship with you. Do we know you? Are we in right relationship with you? Do we understand what that means? Can we with confidence say in our own mind and heart and conscience, I have trusted Christ as my Savior, and I know that I stand before 
the living God, not in my own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ. Lord, cause us to ponder those great questions and affirmations. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org.